We are in danger. Right here. Right now. Today. Tomorrow. This week. And I'm not just making this up. I'm not paranoid. You and I are in real danger. We might feel safe sitting in comfy chairs in a warm building surrounded by friends and family. But I suggest that we've only been, or we've often been, lulled into a false sense of security. Because we think that the only dangers that we face in life are physical or visible or tangible dangers. Things like heart attacks or car wrecks, treacherous weather, natural disasters, crimes like robbery, assault, or abuse, financial loss, Lyme disease-carrying ticks, or if we're camping, bears. <laughs> but since we don't seem to be at risk of facing any of these kinds of dangers right this moment, we're likely not overly concerned about them right now. However, there is another kind of danger that is insidiously near each one of us, and which is far more threatening and hazardous than the dangers that we can see. It is as near to us as our very hearts, and it is powerful enough to harm our very souls. As Al Mohler says, we like to think the world is a safe place, but it is not. The world is a tremendously dangerous place. We like to imagine that evil is distant, but as the headlines reveal, evil is always lurking near. Evil. Evil inside us and outside us. If we don't pay attention to the danger of evil around us or take it seriously, I believe it could prove deadlier than ignoring warnings about black ice on the roads or warnings to not feed the bears. We need to open our eyes to see what is really going on in our lives and what's happening around us. I believe that God's word can do this for us today. Opening our eyes and then moving us to pray. We've been looking together at Jesus' model prayer called the Lord's Prayer recently, which is it's meant to help us know how to pray and, and what to pray for. So if you would, please open up to Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, one final time together. The Lord's Prayer can easily be divided into halves, with the first three requests focusing on God and his cause, and the last three requests addressing our cause in light of his. So thus we shape our prayers first around who he is before we get to ourselves. But we do get to ourselves. And so Jesus says this in verse 9, follow along with me. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And that's where we ended last week. You see there in verse 11 and 12, our needs are our greatest physical need, daily food and, and physical sustenance, and then our greatest spiritual need, forgiveness of our sins, our debts to God. And finally, instead of, of keeping a focus on the past and what we need to be forgiven for, Jesus looks to the present and future dangers we need to be protected from. Look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. John Stott explains the natural flow of these prayers here. He says, The sinner whose evil in the past has been forgiven longs to be delivered from its tyranny in the future. And Martin Luther recommended how we should pray these prayers. He said that we should pray, forgive us our debts in the evening, every night, as we look back upon the day that has been lived with all its failures and offenses and sins. And then to pray, deliver us from evil in the morning as we look forward to the day ahead with its dangers and toils and snares. That's insightful, although really we should probably pray both prayers at both times. But we pray, deliver us from evil, because God's name is holy and hallowed, and we thus should be one to remain holy as well, separated from evil, holy like he is holy. And then we pray because evil fights against God's kingdom that is coming. And because giving into evil is going against God's will for us, and because we have a great daily need for protection, and because once we're forgiven, we don't want to return to our evil ways. And so, if this final prayer isn't answered, in a way, it can undermine all the rest. Now, you might have noticed, there are actually two things prayed for in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. However, I'm convinced that these are actually two sides of the same request, asking God to keep us safe amidst the dangers of life. And the first thing that Jesus says God needs to keep us safe from may surprise you, though. It's ourselves. Ourselves. It says, and lead us not into temptation. There are so many temptations to sin and go our own way in life. And, we, and these seek to prey on or exploit the evil that is already resident in our hearts. And so as we pray, deliver us from evil, the first way to pray this is to pray that God would deliver us from potential personal evil. Potential personal evil. The point is this. We should pray for our Father to prevent us from going toward evil. And we need to pray that our Father would prevent us from going toward evil via temptation. Think about this. Where does the power and pull of temptation come from? Where does the power behind temptation come from? The devil? It can, not always. And contrary to popular excuses, the devil cannot make you do anything. Does the power of temptation come from the temptation itself? What we are wanting to do. Maybe a temptation to 
pig out gluttonously or to drink up drunkenly or maybe a temptation toward lust or porn or sexual sin or a temptation to gossip, to steal, to, to blow up in a rage, to lazily avoid work. I mean, some of us feel that these things have a really strong pull on us, right? But temptations have no power in and of themselves without us in the equation. Temptation is, is just an, it's an immaterial experience, inanimate, right? It's, it's not some personal being that has power or sway over us. No, the power and pull of temptation comes from inside of us. James 1.14 says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we only want to lust and seal and consume excessively or speak sinfully because we want to. It's our desires. You know the way that many products out there, containers, even trucks that you see on the road are labeled with a certain symbol, has a, a flame in the middle of a diamond or a circle. Right? There's a picture of it up there for you. That warns us that whatever is inside is flammable or combustible. So we make sure that we don't light a spark or a fire around them or, or say bring them near an open bonfire <laughs> or else Boom. Maybe we should have a warning sign like this on us. Do not bring near open temptation. We're liable to combust. The danger lies inside of us, and we are not safe if we're placed in the middle of temptation. That's why the Lord's Prayer asks God to help us avoid temptation altogether. Jesus doesn't tell us to, to pray to make temptation disappear, though that would be sweet. Right? He says to pray to keep us away from it. Keep us away from temptation. Jesus doesn't even pray, help us face and beat temptation. Though that would obviously be great, right? He doesn't seem to have a, a very high view of our strength or ability to resist evil here. Like Al Mohler says, he says, This petition reminds us that we are not able to resist temptation by our own power. These words express a heart of dependence, not self-sufficiency. In fact, consider the phrase, deliver us. These are words of desperation and powerlessness, not self-sufficiency. Jesus does not teach us to pray that God might help a bit or give strength. We do not meet God halfway and trust him to do the rest. Rather, God does it all. He is the deliverer. We are the delivered. Jesus himself knew the potential danger of temptation and the difficulty to overcome it. In fact, in Matthew 4, right before Jesus spoke these words, in Matthew 5, 6, 7, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records Jesus' experience of being fiercely tempted by the devil in the desert. Satan knew that 
If he could derail Jesus' ministry before it even got off the ground, he could, like, God's whole salvation plan could be foiled. God himself would be beaten. And so as Jesus finished up a 40-day fast, which none of us can relate to, 40-day fast, Satan seized the opportunity to strike. Jesus was at his weakest point physically here as we often are ourselves when temptations hit us the strongest. Satan first tried to get Jesus to doubt God's care or goodness to him, saying, like, you're God's son. Right? There's no way, of all people, you shouldn't be on the verge of starvation. He should be caring for you. Like, why don't you just turn these stones here into bread? Aren't you hungry? I mean, we know you can do this. Yet Jesus was able to resist with his man does not live by bread alone retort. Devil quickly responded with another temptation, challenging Jesus to throw himself off the roof of the temple. That doesn't sound all that tempting. But his point was like, surely angels are going to catch you as you fall. And, and when they do, this is going to show your power, show your supreme trust in God and your, God, your godliness. Like, there's no real danger in doing this. And the, the desire to, to show off and to show who he was would obviously be a, a strong temptation. But Jesus is like, no can do. You don't put God to the test. So the devil tried one more time. Would the third time be the charm? He tried, he tempted Jesus to claim authority, power, and glory for himself on earth, offering him a special place at his side, ruling the nations. He was essentially offering him the crown before the, without the cross. Just skip over all that. Just get to the crown. Jesus rebuffed this as well not agreeing to Satan's terms. Now, I tell you all this, this whole story, because this would have been very fresh on Jesus' mind as he told his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation. He knew vividly what temptation could potentially entail for us. We can face temptations to, to give in to physical urges or desires or even needs. We can face temptations to doubt God's goodness or care for us, our identity in him. We can face temptations to, to pridefully show off our goodness or our godliness. And we can face temptations to pursue earthly ambitions or glory or fame or status or popularity, not to mention temptations toward earthly riches or luxury or temptations to avoid suffering at all costs. On top of this, Jesus knew that his followers were not nearly as strong as he was. We are very vulnerable, susceptible to these things. We need help. And thus, we pray. And lead us not into temptation. Now, do you think of that story? Note that while Jesus overcame all temptation, this prayer wasn't actually answered for him. Right? He was led into temptation. 
Matthew 4.1 specifically says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why is this? Why was Jesus actually led into temptation? Well, Jesus' resistance to temptation was actually hugely significant in the big picture. See, Jesus was succeeding where humanity had failed. When our original forefather, Adam, gave into the devil's temptation and sinned, he was cast out of paradise into the wilderness. But then Jesus, the second Adam, came and in the wilderness resisted Satan, thus beginning to regain paradise. He was reversing what Adam did. and We disobeyed. Jesus obeyed. We lost. And Jesus won. So that ultimately we could win under him. Hebrews 4 gets at this when it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. See, we have mercy and grace available to us now because Jesus won. He now understands what we're going through. Now, Jesus says to pray here to, or to ask God to not lead us into temptation. But the Bible clearly tells us in James 1.13 that God doesn't ever tempt anyone. So why bother to pray for God to not do something we know that he won't do? Well, for one, Jesus never says here that God could tempt us. The prayer doesn't go, and do not tempt us, but deliver us from evil. Now, it says that God could lead us into temptation, like to, to where we could be tempted, just as he did with Jesus. And if God did this to us, it would be in order to test us, to refine us, not to tempt us to try to get us to fall. The motives are, are totally polar opposites. But also, even if this prayer was talking about something that God wouldn't do, we can still pray for something we know will or will not happen. Right? Just like we do with your kingdom come, or your will be done, or others. Like those prayers are going to inevitably be answered. We're still called to pray them. And this helps build up our confidence and our hope and our trust in God as we pray them. All right, so we've already alluded to how dangerous temptation can be. Us going toward evil leads us away from God and his love and his grace and his blessing. And many of us know all too well how giving into a temptation can derail us spiritually. And temptations are also everywhere we look, so prevalent. It's got billboards. TVs, internet pages, phones. But also in our seemingly innocuous lives at home, at work, 
even at church. In these very moments, many of us have likely been tempted in various ways to show off our, our piety to those around us, to grab our phones to distract us or entertain us, to lust after someone else here, to, to stew against someone you're upset at, to doubt or reject what you hear from God's word. Temptations are incredibly dangerous, and temptations are ubiquitous for everywhere, prevalent, all over the place. Our only hope to overcome tempt- such temptation is through God's power, not our own. And hence, our dire need for prayer. J.I. Packer implores us that knowledge of our own proven weakness, thick-headedness, and all-around vulnerability in spiritual matters, and of the skill with which Satan exploits our strong and weak points alike, mixing frontal assaults on our Christian integrity with tactics of infiltration and ambush, so that while avoiding one hazard, we constantly fall victim to another, compels us to cry in humility and self-distrust, Lord, if it be possible, please, no temptation. I don't want to risk damaging myself and dishonoring you by falling. Think of Jesus telling his disciples in Gethsemane, watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There is a a direct correlation between our alertness in prayer and our ability to withstand temptation. In order to pray this prayer effectively, sometimes what you need to pray about is obvious. You likely have a, a few particular temptations that you struggle with frequently. So you know, you need to pray for God to prevent you from going there. You know what that is. Like, Father, stand in my way. Stop me. Turn me around. Like, don't let me go where I know I can fall. Lead me in the opposite direction. Strengthen me to to be able to fight. I, I need you. And other times, what we should pray about here might not be so clear. And you need to prayerfully think through where you are most vulnerable. When do you find temptation rages strongest for you? And what times of the day? In what circumstances or states of mind? In what locations? With whom? Why? If, you, if we are going to be watchful and, and prayerful, we need to know our battlefield like, so, so we can avoid landmines whenever possible. And we pray about this. We need to pray about this. As Packer advises, find out, for you, find out what for you is fire and don't play with it. Also, notice once more that it is lead us not into temptation, not lead me. So pray this for 
other people in your life and with other people, like your loved ones, your kids or grandkids, your friends, your, your church family, for church leaders like me or the elders here, we need this. Parents, if, if you're worried about certain struggles your child is having, pray this for them. Pray that, that God would prevent them from going after evil. Kids, if you see issues in your parents, as you probably do, pray this for them. Some of the people that are sitting around us today are fighting a fierce battle right now. We all desperately need each other's prayers. If you have been a, a believer for a long time, you've seen people fall. You've seen people fall away. We long to, not, to never see this again. So we've got to pray persistently for us. We wouldn't go there. From the youngest to the oldest in age, or in faith, we all need God's help here. We all need to take heed lest we fall into sin and fall to our knees instead. I think we sorely underestimate the power that prayer can have in, in helping us grow to be more like Christ. We, we will not be spared all temptation on this side of heaven. But if we pray faithfully, I believe we'll certainly face less and less and will also grow in knowing how to stand against temptation when it does come. Now, I do have to warn us about something here quickly. Some of you here, even if you pray this prayer, are likely actively working against it. Maybe even nullifying your prayer by your actions. Because you don't actually care about being led away from evil. You want it. You want to be there, you go there, stay there. You may be flirting with evil. You may already be heavily involved in it. So some of us pray, lead us not into temptation, and then promptly lead ourselves into it. What's the point of praying this then? Right? Outside of hoping that God overrules your true desires, which he could do. What you need really is a total change of heart. So, that, so you may need to actually pray the, the second prayer first. Deliver me from evil, my evil. Cleanse me, change my heart. So I actually want this. So I want to walk in your ways. So I can pray this with honesty. So we pray this. We pray that... Our Father would look after us by preventing us from going toward evil. Kind of like a, a dad keeping his kids from running out into the street. However, our hearts are not the only dangerous sources of evil out there. There's also evil that is external to us, which attacks us from the outside. See, we are very much at war. And we have an enemy who aims to steal, kill, and destroy us. In Jesus' temptation, he directly faced off with the devil. And we must as well. 
Like it says in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Or in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. By the way, a key piece of armor we see there in that passage, the armor of God, is prayer. We've got to fight from our knees. We sometimes think of prayer, though, only in terms of God's provision, getting what we want or need from him. We don't as often think of it in terms of God's protection as a battle tactic, really. But this is a key way that Jesus wants us to pray. But deliver us from evil. I like how John Piper says, prayer is a walkie-talkie for warfare not a domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. And so we must use our walkie-talkies to call God, to call in help from God. The point is we should pray for our Father to protect us from evil coming at us. We need to pray for God's protection and deliverance from evil coming at us. Not just the evil inside of us, but the evil that is external that wants to attack. But deliver us from evil. The word evil there is likely better translated the evil one, speaking of the devil. But ultimately, whichever one you translate, it doesn't really matter as they both get at the same point. When we pray for deliverance from evil, God loves to send deliverance. And no matter what kind of evil is threatening us, God comes to our rescue. Some Christians can tend to overlook the threat that the devil or his demons pose to us. If you take God's word seriously, though, ignoring this threat would be stupid, foolish. And the world might have all kinds of wrong perceptions about what the devil is and who, what he does, but he is very real. He's bent on destroying God's people and God's work. And his forces can wreak real havoc in our lives. On the other hand, some Christians fear the devil far too much and can get obsessed with spiritual warfare to the point of what I would call speculative paranoia. And in the process, we attribute far more power to the devil than he actually has. Like the fact is, while Satan is stronger than us, he is not even close to all-powerful. He and God are not equal opposing forces of good and evil. A yin and a yang, if you will. The devil is a created being, a corrupted angel, and absolutely no match for God. None. And if God's spirit dwells in us, little children, you are from God and have overcome every evil spirit, for he who is in you 
is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, if the dangers that we face from evil in this world sound scary to you, take heart. Jesus has our back and our front and our sides. And God doesn't only fight beside us or defend us from attacks or give us weapons to use. He actually delivers us. He removes us from the threat entirely. Imagine being an isolated soldier in a war, stranded in enemy territory, constantly under attack. Well, finding another soldier to fight at your side would be nice. It wouldn't be nearly as nice as a, a helicopter coming and airlifting you to safety. And that's the, the difference between God offering help and offering deliverance. And when we pray this, he answers. I've seen it time and time again in my life. I know what it's like, what spiritual oppression and spiritual warfare can be like. How Satan can use temptation or stress or condemnation or fear against us in order to, to harm our, our spiritual vitality or our relationships or our unity as a family of God. And I know what it is to, to feel the oppression lift when we pray in Jesus' name. And who knows how many threats we've been spared from in advance because we prayed. So pray when you know you're under attack and pray when you don't feel the attack yet. We need our Father's protection before and during and after. All the time. To quote J.A. Packer one more time, he asks, can you yet see your own life in terms of being threatened and endangered by evil of all sorts and so of needing God's deliverance every moment? If not, believe me, you cannot yet see what you are looking at. You are like a person wandering blindfolded and with ears plugged in the middle of a city street with traffic coming both ways. Learn from the Lord's Prayer what is really going on in your life. And as you are increasingly enabled to discern the dangers, lean harder on the great deliverer. The great deliverer. Our Father in heaven. our Savior, Jesus, the Spirit inside us. The greatest proof of God's power over evil and of his deliverance of his people is in the gospel. And when our Father sent his only Son, Jesus, to be our deliverer. With every portion of the Lord's Prayer, we've seen this. That Jesus is the most important and greatest and ultimate answer to this prayer. He told us to pray like this, and then he answered the prayer himself. 
See, when Jesus came to earth, it was part of a, a divine rescue mission. All of mankind was hopeful, hopelessly stuck in the clutches of evil. But when a baby cried out in Bethlehem, that cry heralded evil's coming doom. The seed of the woman, the snake crusher, had arrived. And now we sing, Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. When Jesus grew up, he lived a perfect, sinless life despite Satan's best efforts. He then allowed evil to seem to win the day when it nailed him to a cross to be executed. But what was really going on? What was really happening in his sinless death was that he was paying for our evil. And as Jesus died and then rose from the dead, the Bible says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. Triumphed over them. And this shows, this shows the, the lengths that our Father would go to to save us from ourselves. And this shows the power that he has to triumph over all the evil that we may face today. We take our stand now against a dangerous yet defeated foe. So, we can pray this with alertness and awareness of the dangers that we face. And let's pray this with confidence and trust that in God's power to see us through. For on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Have you set your hope on him? If so, pray like it. Let's pray this together. And bow your heads and we'll ask you to do this week as we end the Lord's Prayer is just grab the hand of the person beside you or the people beside you. We'll pray this as a family, but also as God's army here. We fight a battle, but we are hopeless to fight it without him. And so we come to him and pray. Why don't you just take the minute to, to pray this to the Lord, put it into your own words, your own thoughts. What are the temptations that are assailing you right now? or that may assail you, pray that God would deliver you from that evil that lurks inside. And then, of course, about the enemy that wants to attack us from the outside, pray that God would deliver you from him. So pray this, and I'll pray for us all.
Father in heaven, you have all the power. You are greater than we can imagine. And all the evil that we can face today is nothing compared to you. You can crush it. You can take it away. You can save us. So we pray that you would. Save us from ourselves, our temptations to go astray. Even once we know you, it still assails us. So we pray you would deliver us from our evil. And you know how the enemy means to destroy us. So would you stop him? Deliver us from that evil. Lord, we so desperately need you as we cry out to you today. Deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the worship team returns, I want to mention something quickly as we finish up. Because that marks the end of the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in Scripture. But we often say the prayer with an added doxology at the end, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's in most of your Bibles as a footnote, right? Because it actually doesn't appear to have been in the earliest copies of Scripture in the book of Matthew. So we wonder, well, is it actually okay that we pray this, like appending it? to the Lord's original words? I believe so. It would be wrong if we claimed that these were Jesus' words despite the evidence. But I can't think that it's ever wrong to praise God. <laughs> it's like, even with our own words, which might be more based on tradition, as Al Mohler concludes, the Lord's prayer clearly expresses the glory of God and the gospel of grace. It reveals the coming of the kingdom of Christ, the forgiveness provided by the king, his daily provision and care for his people, and his deliverance of his people from the powers of this age. The prayer also reveals God's power by showing us he is the king, the provider, the savior, and the deliverer. In light of these truths, Christians should respond with effusive praise. Prayer that truly reflects the heart of God is inseparable from a response of praise. On top of this, the words of the doxology are in fact quite biblical themselves. They mainly come from a prayer of King David's back in 1 Chronicles 29. And David prays this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise you. 
your glorious name. And let us likewise thank and praise his glorious, his, his hallowed name. And then finally we say, Amen. Let it be so. So may it be. So shall it be. Yes. Make it happen, O oh Lord. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Okay, let's praise him together.